This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We've been in the, the, a sermon series last week we began in the life of Joseph called No Average Joe. No Average Joe is the title of our series. We're gonna fi- we want to find the extraordinary in the ordinary. And by the way, as I mentioned last week, that is the restroom man, by the way. That is the little the bathroom guy. Uh, but finding the extraordinary uh, in the ordinary. Joseph was a man... <clears throat> While other men in the Old Testament had amazing works that happened, they had amazing things that took place in their life. Uh, Red Sea was parted. Uh, We had the the flood hit the earth, and they were able to survive. And there's been amazing things happen. There's fire been called down from heaven, people that have been healed. There's some amazing things that took place in the Old Testament. However, Joseph had none of those things happen in his life, per se. He never uh, performed a miracle. There was never anything that happened that was just like, wow, I cannot believe that. None of that ever uh, truly uh, happened in the life of Joseph. However, there was not a recorded specific sin in the life of Joseph that was recorded in the Bible. And so we want to, he had a pretty ordinary life as far as that's concerned, far from ordinary in some ways, but he became an extraordinary leader And he became an extraordinary Bible figure uh, that we all are familiar with. We're going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 37 today. Genesis chapter 37. And what I want to do today is give a very uh, uh, 30,000 foot view of the life of Joseph. Now for those that call Keystone home, um, we will dig into many of these elements over the next few weeks. Well, I'm going to give you a 30,000 foot view of the life of Joseph And then what I want to do at the end is I want to bring it all together practically and apply it both to what we do uh, in education, in teaching, and then also just in our daily lives. But first of all, this morning, I want us to see that Joseph was favored by his father. Favored by his father. Genesis 37, 1 through 3 says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. That's another way of saying that would be his brothers. So I'm hanging out with my father's, you know, anyway. And, uh, and Joseph brought, up his, his, uh, brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many Colors. This isn't a parenting lesson today or a parenting session today, but can I just say, like for free, you're not you're not paying for this, that favoring children over another is a recipe for family problems and family disaster. Um, uh, just a, uh, to be honest with you, a, a horrible way uh, for Jacob uh, to to treat his family, and and he loved Joseph because Joseph uh, was the son of his favorite. Wife, and I mean, can we just get a witness in here, guys? If if you have a favorite wife, right, then there is a good chance, there's a good chance uh, that you're going to have some family problems. That's all I'm going to say. We'll leave it at that. But there is a good chance that there could be some some family problems. But Joseph was favored by his father, and you know what we see. And 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 I don't know about you, but like I love the term teacher's pet. Because I, sh- I was striving to be one. 
every single year. Some years it worked better than others. Uh, and uh, some years it just backfired uh, completely. But I wanted to be the teacher's pet. I remember fifth grade was the first year that I accomplished that. It was amazing. I had an awesome fifth grade teacher. Um, and, and you mentioned you know, everybody has a teacher that they think of. I had an amazing fifth grade teacher. He was my first male teacher, which was really cool. And, uh, and they, they say, we were just talking about this with my family this past week. And they were like, yeah, he used to always say, even in the fifth grade, whenever he would make a joke that would go over the other fifth graders' heads, that I would always get it. And every time he'd make the joke, I would just cut my eyes and look at him. And he would know that I got the joke. None of the other kids got it, but I got it. And that's probably not a good thing that I did that at fifth grade. But hey, I could, I could hang with the best of them. But uh, anyway, I guess my, my lot in life was either to be a comedian or a pastor. And so I'm kind of a mix between both of them. So that's, the Lord bless me. But, uh, but he was favored by his father, number one. But secondly, what we find out uh, immediately in, in the next verse in Genesis chapter 37 was because he was favored by his father, and this is what so often happens, he was forsaken by his brothers. How many of you understand when someone is favored in a group, <clears throat> the one that is favored is often despised by the others in the group. Uh, you don't do that person any favors by favoring them uh, because the others in the group uh, don't want anything to do with it. Genesis chapter 37, verse 4, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. They hated him. His brothers hated him, and they hated him so much that as, as Joseph was sent out to, to check on his brothers and to find his brothers as they were out in the fields working, verse 18 says this, When they saw him afar off, they saw Joseph coming. Even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. They wanted to kill him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. See, Joseph had dreamed some dreams and had told them about it, and I said there was no recorded sin in the Bible. If there was a sin in Joseph's life, it would be that he gave a little bit too much information about, if you have a dream that you're going to be, you know, the king over some people and they're going to be your servants, you might not want to tell them. All right, so Joseph did that, but uh, that would be his only uh, possible time in his life where he had quote unquote sinned. But they said, come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say that some evil beast had devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben, which was his oldest brother, heard it. And he delivered him out of their hands. And Reuben said, let us not kill him. Reuben said, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the, in the wilderness and lay no hand upon him. It's like, thanks, big bro. Like, thanks for sparing my life, but let's throw him in a pit. It's like, I really, I, I really appreciate that. I know you got my, will, my, my best interest in mind. Uh, you're not going to let my brothers kill me. But you will let them throw me in a pit and leave me for dead. Uh, and so I, I appreciate what Reuben did, but I think he could have taken maybe another step. It says, lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, that coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it, and they sat down to eat bread. They lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spice and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. So they were on their way to Egypt. Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother, if we kill him, and conceal his blood? Come, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. They're passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. Joseph was forsaken by his brothers. 
betrayed, forsaken, uh, sold as a slave into the country of Egypt. Just hatred, vile wickedness. That's the life of Joseph. He goes from being favored by his father to being forsaken by his brothers. But thirdly, we see that he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. You see, when he arrives in Egypt, he, he starts to work for this man named Potiphar. And Potiphar was a very wealthy man. And as he's working for Potiphar, he begins to gain favor, just like his father had for him, in the eyes of Potiphar. And Potiphar promotes him, and, and, and he is uh, in charge of Potiphar's entire estate whenever Potiphar is not there. And Genesis chapter 39, verse 10 says this. This is Potiphar's wife speaking of this. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. And when she saw that he had left his garment uh, with her and had run outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said unto them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me. And ran outside. And she put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. And then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. When his master heard the story his wife told him, uh, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and he had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Falsely accused. Uh, let's be very frank and honest. Falsely accused of sexual assault. Falsely accused of something very extremely important and extremely uh, severe. Uh, falsely accused. You say, I know it's not something uh, as, as significant as that, but in our work and if, in teachers' lives and edu educators' lives, how many of you understand so oftentimes as parents, uh, it's very easy to always think our kid is right. And it's very easy to always uh, believe everything that comes out of the mouth of our kids about those that are pouring into their lives from their schools and from other places. And it's a very unwise thing because what we are doing there is we are uh, participating in uh, false accusations. And Joseph here, he was falsely accused. Falsely accused. And I'll be honest with you this morning, I don't wish that upon anyone. Some of the best redemption stories that I ever hear are people that have been in prison for years and maybe decades and you hear that, that in, in their retrial or they found some more information about whatever happened and, and they did find out that they were innocent. And to see those people, it's, it's sad on one hand, but it's a beautiful thing to see those people released from prison. Uh, just because false accusations uh, can and will destroy a life and Joseph was cast into prison. But just like when Joseph was sold as a slave into Potiphar's house, he quickly worked himself up to good standing in Potiphar's house. Guess what? The same thing happened in prison. And by God's grace, if I ever go to prison, I hope I'm Joseph, right? He works his way up in prison, man. He works his way up until, until they trust him. The prison guards trust him. Uh, the, the warden of the prison trusts him. And he, he is talking to the uh, baker and the butler. And they come. He, he uh, tells them, interprets some dreams of theirs. I don't have that skill. But he interprets uh, some dreams uh, for them. And he, he says basically uh, this, that in three days, uh, the baker, you're going to die. But in three days, the butler... Uh, you're going to be restored back to where you used to be. They were both in prison. 
says, you're going to die, beggar butler, you are going to be restored back to your position. He says this, would you just remember me? Verse 20 of Genesis chapter 40 says, And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph. One of my favorite Bible words, but forgot him. If y'all teach English, just I'm sorry. But he forgot him, but it said forgot, but it's forgot, right? Uh, yet did, did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but he forgot him. You see, all Joseph wanted was, hey, listen, when Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, when the king of Egypt uh, says, when, you, when you're restored back to your position, would you just tell him, hey, there's a guy in prison. His name's Joseph. You know, he's in there falsely. He was falsely accused. He's not supposed to be there. Hey, do you think you can maybe help him out? That's a simple request. That's not a difficult request. But you know, he was forgotten by the person he helped the most. Hey, he helped this butler uh, get out of prison himself, but he was forgotten by him. And how many times in our lives do we feel that forgotten by the people that we love the most and the people oftentimes that we have done the most for? But I want, to see a, I want us to see next this morning, and I'm, I'm rapidly moving here, and I'm going to bring it all together at the end. But he was remembered by his heavenly father. Joseph, while he was forgotten and forsaken and falsely accused, he was remembered by his heavenly father. Genesis 41, verse 38, Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath shown thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Pharaoh says, Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. You see, eventually... That butler did remember Joseph. It was several, several years later. He did remember him, and Joseph was restored. And Joseph was made, once again, second in command under Pharaoh. But he was remembered by his heavenly father. This was a man in whom the Spirit of God dwelled. And for as much as God hath showed him all of these things. And let me just say this this morning. If you're forgotten by everybody on this earth, if you're forsaken by everybody on this earth, if you're falsely accused over and over again by everybody here on this earth, let me just say this, that you will never be forgotten by your Heavenly Father. Listen, He's a Father that never forgets. He's a Father that never forsakes. He's a Father who is just and never falsely accuses. You see, Joseph was remembered by his Heavenly Father, and not only that, but he was promoted, and he was used to strengthen an entire generation. He was promoted and he was used to strengthen an entire generation. Genesis 41 verse 53 says, and the seven years of, and the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. And the seven years of dearth began to come according as Joseph had said, and the dearth was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, go unto Joseph. What he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and jo Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because the famine was so sore in all the lands. Here's what happened. Joseph gets out of prison. Joseph becomes second in command of Pharaoh. 
As Joseph is second in command in the Pharaoh, he has a dream that we're going to have seven years of plenty of plenty. The, the, the farmers, the crops are going to be just plenteous, and we're going to have everything that we need. But after that seven years is over, there's going to be seven years of famine where we're going to receive nothing. The crops are going to die. There's going to be no food. And people are going to begin to starve. And so Joseph in his wisdom says, during the first seven years where there's plenty, we're going to store. And we're going to, we're going to plant as much as we can and we're going to harvest as much as we can and we're going to store it in the storehouse because we know the next seven years is coming. We understand that we're going to have seven years with no food. And you know what happens is that happens, that, that truly comes to pass. There were seven years of plenty. Joseph knew and he had prepared for it. Everyone else had not. And so when those seven years of famine come, People are in need of food. People are in need of things that will sustain them to live. And there was one answer that Pharaoh and anyone could give people. I'm hungry, I need food. What's the answer? And their answer was, go to Joseph. And Joseph, if you want to look at it this way, single-handedly saved or strengthened an entire generation that was to follow him. Just an amazing feat or an amazing thing that happened in the life of Joseph. So I want to ask this question. How does, that, how does this story apply to us today? I don't know about you, but everybody in this room, whether, you're, uh, whether you work in education or whether you work uh, in other industries in our area, you found yourself feeling forgotten and forsaken. I would say that one of the most thankless jobs that someone could have oftentimes is teaching. One of the most thankless jobs. I mean, let's be honest, and I, I'm guilty of this. I don't necessarily text my daughter's teacher or call my daughter's teacher just to say, hey, everything's great, awesome, thanks so much for all you do. Today was an awesome day. We love you so much, right? Because we are, we are so conditioned to communicate the negative. And as a teacher or whatever field that you work in, but I'm specifically this morning using teaching as an illustration, you may have stayed up later that night before preparing what you were going to present to the class that day. And you may have, you may have poured over notes and you may, have, you may have stayed up doing something creative to really try to bring the kids' attention to what you're trying to teach to them that day. And you go through all of that and as you do that, there's a kid in the class who's having a bad day and we don't know what's going on in his home or her home but it completely ruins everything that's happened. And it doesn't come off the way you want it to come off. And this kid's mad at this kid, and a, a, this kid starts to mouth off here. And before long, instead of that day being a win and a success, before long you're receiving a phone call or a text message from a parent who says, hey, my kid said this happened in class today. And you want to say, I think you forgot or you didn't know what all I put into that day, right? And we do that in any job. Hey, we, we've prepared our presentation to go before whatever committee it was, and we've done so much work and so much preparation, and one little thing happens, and it's like it was all for nothing. And we oftentimes can feel like what we're doing is thankless. We've been forgotten. We've been forsaken. It has been said, and I 100% agree with this, that possibly... The most underappreciated, underpaid, and overworked segment of our society are educators. I'll say that again because I believe it with all my heart. Possibly the most underappreciated, underpaid, and overworked segment of our society are our educators. 
And that isn't right. Many may have felt forgotten or forsaken here this morning, and I understand. But I want to encourage you this morning. If you're, whether you're a teacher here or whether you're not a teacher here, I want to encourage you. If you feel like, like, like it's a thankless life you're living, or you feel like, hey, listen, we put all this effort into here, and there's really never that, that pat on the back. And yeah, sure, the principal does it because, yeah, he's right here, but there's never that appreciation really shown. We want you to know this, that God never for gets and God knows the, the the price you pay and God knows uh, the the uh, the time that you put in there is one that the book of Hebrews says will never leave you and nor forsake you and his name is the God of heaven God in heaven loves you and God in heaven will one day make all things right if you want to look at it this way the only one who truly matters the only one who truly matters loves you unconditionally. The only one that truly matters. God loves you. And I don't care this morning what your past is. I don't care what baggage you bring with you. I don't care what your church, church history is. I don't care if this is your first time in church and you don't know anything about this and you're just here seeking. It doesn't matter. God loves you unconditionally and you matter to God. And we have a saying around here that we often greet people with. We believe it to our core, and that is this. You matter to God, and you matter to us. We, we believe that. In fact, there's a couple of guys here with our Keystone t-shirts on. It says that on the back of our t-shirts. You matter to God, and you matter to us. And I will say we do our best to believe that and to live that. That is our purpose and our goal here so that this entire community will know that they have a divine purpose in this world, that God loves them, and that because He loves them, uh, we love them. And you matter to God, and you matter to us. In fact, you matter to God so much this morning that I would, that I would be wrong not to leave you with this truth. And this truth is this. The God that loves you so much has made a way for you to enter into a personal relationship with Him. God loves you so much that he has made a way for you to have a relationship with him. Relationships are important. Relationships are key to life. And the most important relationship that we can have is a relationship with God. You see, it's not through church attendance that you obtain this relationship, even though I'm glad you're here today and I'd love for you to come every Sunday. But it's not through being kind to your neighbor, even though being kind to your neighbor is probably a good idea to do in your community. But it's not through giving your money to your favorite church or your favorite charity, even though those things are great and I'm all for those things. But no, this morning, you can begin a personal relationship with God by one thing and through one person, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, we, we sung about Him this morning. One name is higher, one name is stronger than any grave, than any throne. Christ exalted over all. You see, there's only one way to be reconciled to God. There's only one way to have a personal relationship with Him, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ, by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says it this way, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It says in another passage in the book of Mark, but as to many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
You see this morning, this God that never forsakes you and never leaves you, this God that loves you and that, and that formed you and that has a divine purpose for your life, he has made a way for you to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. And today, I want to invite you, as we go through this Joseph series, we're going to see how Joseph and Jesus have so many similarities. Joseph is almost an Old Testament rendition of Jesus. We're going to see that. We saw one today, by the way, where it said that Joseph was sold by his brothers for 20 pieces of silver. Uh, Jesus was sold by his disciples for, for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, so Jesus is the greater Joseph. Um, but it's, it's just one of the parallels. But this morning, I want to invite you into a relationship with God. But if there was a relationship with God, and it existed down that hallway and to the right, and then you go to the end of that hallway and you go outside and you go out to the basketball courts, right? Humanly speaking, I can say there's a relationship with God and it's right out there on those, I think I'm pointing in the right direction, it might be that way. But anyway, right out there on the basketball courts. You know, humanly speaking, we could say, okay, um, there are many ways you could get there. You can go out this door here, and you can go down the hallway and go out that way. You can go out this side door here, and you can go out that way. You can go out this door over here if you really want to, and you can go around. Or if you really want to make it difficult, you can go through that door there, go in the back of the cafeteria, come out and, and walk all the way down. There would be many, humanly speaking, many ways to reach that destination. But it's different with a relationship with God. You see, the Bible says this, Jesus says this, that I am the way in John chapter 14, the truth and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is one door, one door that opens to a relationship with God. And that door is Jesus Christ. And it must be activated by faith. It must be activated by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. I'm going to leave you with this and I promise I'm done. Believing in someone and believing on someone. I can believe, and I'm not going to do it this morning, but I can believe in this chair right here. This chair held Maddie up to play the guitar. She did a great job this morning, by the way. This chair held Maddie up. This chair, I believe in that chair. I believe that chair could hold me up. I'll do it for you. If it falls, man, this is the worst illustration ever. <clears throat> I believe this morning in this chair. I believe this chair is sturdy. Praise the Lord. There's some chairs in here that aren't sturdy, and we try to make sure that you're not sitting in them every Sunday. All right? Um, but this chair is pretty sturdy. I can believe in this chair. I mean, this thing is made of metal. This thing has probably been around for 30-plus years, and it's never failed people yet. All right? It's still there. I believe that chair can hold me up. I believe it. But you know what? Do I really believe it yet? I mean, I say I believe it. I mean, I believe that that chair exists and that chair is there. You know what? Many people treat their relationship with God that way. You know, I believe it. He's there. I have a head knowledge. Yeah, okay, yeah, God, of course, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's there. Sure. And we go on our merry way, and we go on with the rest of our lives. True faith and repentant, and repentant belief of Jesus, in, in Jesus Christ means this. Hey, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus. I believe what Jesus did for me. And I don't just believe it, but, hey, I believe on it. Lord, help me. I believe on it. And I stand on it. This is really weird. But I stand on it. And I don't believe in Jesus. I believe on him. I put my faith, my faith is on this chair right now. I'm being serious. All right, because it's, it's a little shaky. My faith is on this metal and it's on this chair right now. And you know what? As this chair goes, so I go. And I just want to invite you today 
to believe on Jesus just like this. It's not just that you know he exists. It's not just you know he's there. It's no, I put my faith and my belief and my trust on here. See, my trust right now is not on my church attendance. And my trust right now is not on how much money I give or don't give. My trust right now is not on how kind I am to my neighbor. I got some crazy neighbors, all right? It's not, it's not right now on, 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 on how much you know, I, I do to, to help out um, on May the 16th and, and feed those children. And those are all great things and good things that we want to do them. No, no, my belief right here is on this chair. It's on this chair. Hey, your belief this morning can't be in all those other things. Your faith this morning can't be in being good to people. Your faith has got to be grounded on Jesus. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.com. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.